This is Keeping Connected, a special series produced through the Connected Nation podcast. In this series, we talk with leaders working to secure the broadband and digital futures of our communities. Specifically, we talk with individuals who serve in varying public or private capacities, working to ensure our communities are keeping connected. I'm your host, Wes Kerr. Today's guest is Joe Palasik, the State Eat Rate Coordinator in the Education Technology Unit of the Michigan Department of Education. Joe, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here, Wes. Thanks for having me. Get us going this morning. What would our listeners find you doing with free time? I can't imagine you have a lot of it, but it, but what would they find you out doing with your free time? <laughs> well, you know, living here in the great state of Michigan, uh, we, we love our outdoors. Uh, we like to get out in it, uh, whatever the weather, whatever the season. Um, so I'm, I'm right now I'm, I'm hoping for some more snow, but, uh, we're ready for uh, for some outdoor winter activity. I certainly like to, to hit the water any any which way I can, uh, and and any time I can spend with my family is all the better. Uh, it's just a great place to live and get out in it. Joe, would you mind to to describe what it means to be the state E rate coordinator? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's different in different states as far as what your role encompasses. Um, it, in the state of Michigan, uh, my role as state E-rate coordinator uh, is to act as uh, kind of a, a liaison between uh, the Universal Service Administrative Corporation, USAC, and the FCC, and applicants and the folks who represent them, the consultants uh, that are in some case hired to, to do the E-rate filings for our state-level applicants uh, at the school and library level. Um, I bring information to them. I help work through their problems and issues with them. I make sure that I'm up to date on, on all the goings on at USAC and the FCC uh, to ensure that I'm getting the best information with clarity to our applicants and to their representation. And it's all focused on ensuring that we do our best to get every dollar we should here in the state of Michigan from the E-rate program, that we keep every dollar that we get, and that we have all applicants who are eligible and able to tap the E-rate program to, to offset the costs in other areas of technology or operations. So really what I do is, is twofold, bringing information both to and from uh, the, the federal government folks down to the applicants and the, and the consultants and, and also helping them work through those issues that do arise from time to time. And, and Joe, to add to that, would you mind to, I guess, speak a little bit to what E-rate is or, or how E-rate is utilized? It's money that comes from the general public paid for on their telephone bills. And it goes into this big pot of money that is then made available for several different programs, E-Rate being one of them, that accesses these funds out of the Universal Service Fund. The big pot is named the Universal Service Fund. And for E-Rate purposes, eligible schools and libraries, the schools being non-public or public, service, or public school academies, and your library organizations are eligible to tap that fund for the cost of the broadband internet that they are using to serve their students and their communities at their, uh, at their locations. Um, and that frees up money, because I don't know of any school or library that has too much funding, frees up money to go to other projects, to improve technology, um, and it's, it's there to offset cost of doing business, as it were, in a 21st century world. Uh, we're trying to ensure that our students have access to these 21st century technolo uh, technological tools and that our communities have access to the internet and to the internet 
at large, not just access to email and research, but to the digital economy, to digital literacy courses, um, that wouldn't be possible necessarily without offsetting the cost of the delivery of the internet service, the transport, as it were, how does it get to the building? And then how does it get to the user in the end? Uh, the, the internal connections pieces in each of these buildings that are used to funnel the internet, of course, that gets used then by our end user devices like our computers and our smartphones, etc. You know, all of those things are offset uh, through a rebate program in E-Rate. Oh, that's a great explanation. I, I appreciate that. We've when we get into these podcasts, sometimes we we throw around some of those terms, and I know we've talked I, in some of the previous podcasts that I've recorded about E-Rate and. Um, that's, that's a really, really good explanation of how it's, you know, kind of the, the background and how it's utilized, uh, and really the importance of it. And I think most, a lot of people don't understand what that little line item is and that phone bill that they've had, um, and where those funds go. And, and I know I, I have not met very many schools, um, who do, do not utilize E-rate, uh, unfortunately more libraries, uh, than, than schools and, and oftentimes, uh, rural libraries just in certain states aren't aren't familiar with or aren't aware of the E-rate program in general and how they could utilize it. Uh, so it's, it's neat to see uh, the, the work that you do. And, and I certainly understand the importance of, of the coordinator role uh, and appreciate that. So as we, as we kind of dig in further today, one of the things I'm curious about is I, I want to hear why you think broadband and technology is important uh, to, you know, to your constituents and just in general. Well, I, I love this question for one specific reason. It's because it's not just about access to broadband or access to technology. It's about access to all of them combined. Uh, you know, a, a, a technology, a piece of technology like a smartphone or a computer is really a paperweight without access to the, to the internet through a broadband connection that can sustain uh, connection and can bring that information uh, in large chunks that are needed for uh, your, your video calls, uh, your YouTube uh, or streaming video operations. You know, it, it's, it's really a three-legged stool. We're talking about access to a device. We're talking about access to broadband. And then we're talking about the ability to pay for those things. And so with all of that brought together, we know that it's important and can be so beneficial to put technological tools in front of a kid and into a classroom. But we also know that technological tools do not replace direct instruction. Um, it is just that. It is a tool. Uh, but the tool doesn't work, as in the device, right? doesn't work without that internet connection, without that broadband connection. And if we're trying to bring these robust and interesting lessons together for students in the classroom, how do we do that if we're trying to do that across every classroom? Can our network handle it? Do we have enough bandwidth? Um, it's, it's important in the classroom, of course, to have, to have access to bandwidth levels that can support the, the instruction, uh, as well as the tool to use it. You know, it's, all, it's all part of the same package. We can't have one and say we're finished. You can't have the other and say we're done. You have to have it all together and it has to be packaged well. Um, and that goes for not just in schools, you know, certainly E-Rate is only eligible to fund school connections, library connections, um, but to the home as well. We're seeing that a lot as, as we've gone, of course, in our new normal, right? The COVID America that we're living in right now, we have so many students living, working, and learning at home. 
So what about that kid who lives out in a rural area and doesn't have access because there's just no access? What about the kid who lives in an area with access, but the family can't afford it? How are they able to then uh, have equity in their, uh, their educational experience? Uh, and, and I've got to applaud the federal government for moving quickly, applaud the FCC. We've done a lot of work here at the state level. Uh, as have every state, frankly, to try and move dollars that were, were put out through COVID relief uh, to get them to schools, to offset the cost of devices, of wireless connections where needed, et cetera, so that we can continue this because we see the importance of access to broadband and, and how it plays into uh, successful educational outcomes. Yeah, I know that through this COVID-19 season, um, and, and I say season being hopeful, that it has shown a lot of light on, on, on E-Rate. And, you know, a lot of discussion has happened about how can E-Rate support beyond, you know, the, the campus, if you will. Um, so that's been an interesting conversation, one that is certainly not settled uh, or, you know, one without many opinions. Uh, but but it's certainly something I know that I've heard the discussion uh, or plenty of discussions about. I'm certain that you have given your role uh, as, as school districts look to, to find ways to expand and, and really extend the, the funding that they have to reach their, their students um, who, who really are living, you know, in their homes and the only outside world that they are getting in many cases is, is what is being delivered through a, you know, a broadband connection and the technology that they have at hand. And for those that are not fortunate enough to have those services available to them, uh, it has really closed off the world that they live in. So much appreciation to, to you and the others around the country that are, you know, in the roles that you're in and, and what you're doing to, to try to expand those services and, and work, you know, collectively to figure out what, what fits and what makes sense as we move forward. In your position, what concerns you the most about inadequate access to broadband and technology? Well, I, I can go back to that issue of, of equity of access. And, you know, equity of access isn't just, is there available broadband connections in your area? It's also, can you afford this broadband connection? They're not cheap. Um, and if you're a family that's struggling, um, as many people are right now, especially, um, it's it's it can be thought of as a luxury, right? I, I view broadband as as something that should probably end up someday being regulated like a utility, because like electricity, this is now something that is needed for people to do the things that they do every day. And maybe if we continue to work from home, we'll see some of that, but. You know, again, equity of access and then the ability to pay for that access. Those are the two things that, that are, are really coming together in a, in a conflux as we ask this question. You know, nearly all the schools have solved the issue of device access through the state dollars uh, that have been available in the past and certainly the federal CARES dollars that we've seen in this particular cycle. Uh, these devices come with ongoing costs, so there's maintenance, there's insurance, there's replacements, so this is not a one-time cost. Our schools will need to make sure they have the budgetary recess, uh, resources to maintain these fleets of, of devices, and then educational funding generally will need to probably see a little swell to cover these costs. Uh, we are only seeing 
cost of educating student at a student level inflating. So that's from a school access standpoint. From a from a home access, which again, you, we didn't really think about this until COVID, right? We didn't think about necessarily the access to the home and the part that that plays, the, the large part it plays in student outcomes. So if we have access to devices and we have access to internet and we have the ability to pay for these, all of these over time, that's, that's the three legs of this equity stool for you know, ensuring equity uh, and, and by ensuring equity, we're, we're giving people access to all the things that we enjoy every day by having a solid broadband connection. The ability for me to sit in my house right now and to have this conversation with you remotely <laughs> would not be possible without a, a decent broadband connection. I'm not going to say I got a great one, but we're doing okay today. Uh, <laughs> and um, when, I, when I think about the concerns, it, 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 it always comes back to, are we going to have what we need in the places that we need it? Are we going to have the devices? Are we going to have the broadband infrastructure that delivers this, this service to the places that need it, which is frankly everywhere right now? Or are we going to sit back at the end of this and say, well, everybody's back in school, so we solved it. It's okay, everybody. We don't need to continue forcing the issue and expanding the infrastructure around our state. That needs to continue to happen. We need to continue to advocate for equity of access, at least from an infrastructure standpoint. We can work on cost uh, later. There are certainly programs to drive costs down. But it, at this point, the hardest thing to solve is the infrastructure to bring equity of access to broadband internet across our state. As a state agency, is there a community of people that you feel are the at the biggest disadvantage? And, and how do you believe broadband and technology can help neutralize that disadvantage it, it's what's interesting is when, when we talk about equity of access we think about rural areas that don't have access to, to broadband infrastructure and then we forget necessarily that there are some areas of our state that have solid availability of wireless or wired connections and a family just may not be able to afford it and so it's it's two different problems all under that same equity of access question um, and it's going to need to be solved in two different ways. To, to bring infrastructure to the rural areas, we have to incentivize the build out by these providers in those areas. We've been trying to incentivize it for years. We've had mixed results. Um, it's a lot easier in, in some cases to uh, be able to offset the cost of a family home connection uh, than it is to spend what would be millions or billions of dollars to expand uh, a wired network, which is really what we want to see in the end. Um, so the, the cost of bringing it where it ain't is high. The cost of offsetting uh, wired connections to homes or wireless connections, even in those areas where it's possible and feasible, is longitudinally high, but is much less <laughs> in the short term. I know we have some family foundations in and around the state that in their local areas will pick up the cost of, of the discounted internet uh, through the internet essentials program for a wired provider, one of the large cable companies. They'll just offset the cost to a family home for a student who lives there, uh, who they meet qualifications of NSLP, you know, national school lunch, poverty indicators, etc. 
they're able to offset the cost to that area. So we, we find different solutions in different areas. Um, and and I, the hardest one still is going to be bringing where it ain't. In your, in your role, what do you believe is the most important thing you can do to help impact the digital future of those you serve? Well, for me, it's about advocacy. E-rate can improve connections to schools and to libraries, like we've discussed, but it, not to homes, not to businesses. So we advocate for better connections, expansion of infrastructure to unserved and underserved areas uh, by our commodity internet providers. Uh, we here at the MDE have no ability to directly affect expansion of broadband infrastructure. It's, it's not our problem to solve. What we can do is shine a very bright light on the effects of inequity in access to broadband and, and, and what it means to the areas that have versus the areas that do not. What does it mean for the kid who is able to connect to the internet and use that as a tool in their studies? What does it mean for the kid who is not? Educational entities all over the, the country have been able to shine a very bright light on, on the deficiencies of the existing wired and wireless networks serving our state. However, we are in no position to make direct change. That's up to our legislators, it's up to our providers, it's up to the federal government. So what we do from our seat, what I do from mine, is through E-Rate, I ensure all the things we talked about earlier, that we are getting the money we should, keeping the money we get, and that all eligible entities are applying. But we also talk about the larger picture. What happens when they leave schools? How do we serve communities better? And that comes from advocacy. Those are the things we bring to our legislators. And I think I know what your answer is going to be here, but I, I want to ask, what do you think the general resident, I guess, you know, moms and dads and parents and, and just local leadership or whatnot, what, what can they do to help or, or to be involved in helping solve this issue? Well, advocacy again, and it takes many forms. How do you advocate in today's day and age? Um, an email can get ignored. A letter generally has to be read and logged. So if you're thinking about sending an email or if you're thinking about sending a letter, I would send a letter and an email and then make a phone call and get to know your state legislators. Get to know your federal legislators who are in your district serving you. They do want to hear from you. They are interested in what you have to say, and you can steer policy from your couch if you are so inclined. If they hear from enough people, they will take things to their leadership in the, in the federal house, the state house, or the state senate, or the, the United States Senate. It's a matter of getting out and talking to people who make decisions. And, and I've talked about federal and state, but don't forget local, too. If you think that you would like to advocate for a local network in your small town, similar to the one I live in and been talking through you from right now, um, there are municipal networks all around our state that are successful. There are blueprints for how to move forward in this realm. Uh, we have rural providers who are very interested in expanding their offerings in rural areas. These uh, energy co-ops that exist around our state specifically have been getting into the broadband game. They need to know that there is a demand so that they can add that into their cost projections, their cost benefit projections. So get a hold of your providers, get a hold of your representatives at a state, local, and federal level, and ask for what you, what you want. You want to have reliable broadband internet as 
as, as, as simple as we flick on a light switch or turn on our tap and get clean water, right? That's what we should have from a, from a broadband internet standpoint. Probably not tomorrow, but it's, it's what we should be working towards in the end. And as we look to expand and increase broadband and technology availability, adoption and use, which is something that you've talked about now a time or two in our conversation today, do you have advice that you'd give to to others, whether that be, you know, counterparts at other agencies or, and you kind of touched on this, but even local leadership? Don't be afraid. Um, this is This is a big expensive thing to build something like this or to help incentivize something like this. There's big numbers around it. I know just to, to bring it back to where I'm at locally, there's discussion about putting in a, a municipal broadband in our little city, which is great. The community is very excited, but they're also very annoyed that it's moving very slowly. Our leadership is being deliberate. They want to ensure that they are dotting the I's, crossing the T's. And in the state of Michigan, we have a thing called the, the Metro Act that is very prescriptive as to how you go through this process. So they are following the blueprint that's laid out. It takes time and then they have to find funding for it. So patience is a virtue in this regard. Um, you also have to maybe get a little lucky um, <laughs> in finding a provider or uh, finding a champion at the legislative level or at the local representative level that can help you get this through. It's, it's going to take time. And, and so patience, 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 but also a degree of tenacity goes a long way. Continue to advocate, continue to bring it up, continue to call, to write, to ask, to show up to meetings and ask for status updates. Uh, those are the things that move the needle because uh, the people who represent you will need to then act on the things that you are asking them uh, to at least look into. So it, it just being politely tenacious I suppose is the best way I could put it, and, and pushing those folks who have the power or have the uh, the access to the the availability, uh, the providers, etc. Those are the folks that you need to push. I actually had that conversation with somebody earlier this week in a community uh, about you know how much work and how much patience there was involved, and and I even threw in that word that you said luck, um, you know, and, and some of that's just timing sometimes. Um, that that the work and effort that you're putting in, uh, it, it may work out that 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 coincides with uh, you know a, a provider that's looking to expand or trying to um, help build out, and sometimes you just need more of each of those different ingredients, uh, right? The the patience and perseverance and, and luck too. Uh, so I, I certainly appreciate that, and I, I like the idea of of continuing to just kind of push. Uh, and, and persevere and and work with the tenacity, as you said, um, uh, that's necessary to, to see these types of things through. And, and sometimes that's hard at a local level and, and it can be discouraging when we don't see big changes and we hear big numbers and all of those things that you mentioned, uh, they can be discouraging and kind of hard to put your head around sometimes. So really excellent response there. Joe, as we kind of wrap up this morning, is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you'd want to, you know, maybe speak on a little bit? I, I talked about it a little bit, just, you know, the, the way I view eventually broadband becoming a utility. I see that's, I, that's where I see this going, but the importance, lots of buzz phrases we use, right? Like equity of access and, and things of that nature. But when you think about it, we're, are we preparing students for the 21st century work 
life, etc., or are we not? These are tools that are used every single day by folks all over the world to do their jobs um, for social and leisure. And and you know, if if we're not teaching our children how do we bring our parents who are a little, you know, laggard, a little behind the curve? You know, our, our kids learn digital, digital literacy and citizenship directly and indirectly through their studies in their schools. And then these students go home and they act as tech support for their immediate and extended families. I mean, we all know the joke about, you know, the kids helping mom or dad on the computer or, you know, getting calls in college where you're like, my phone doesn't do, you know. It's important because the younger generation is is teaching folks that didn't have the opportunity to work with this stuff so much in their daily lives. And so digital literacy is so important as so many more things go online, access to forms, access to dang near everything is all online. And so do we know how to navigate that space or are we afraid of it? Or do we know how to get into that space or is it unavailable to us because we don't have the tools and the connection to get there? Those are the things that that drive my work every day. And I know that I, I'm able to work on some committees that are working on the outside stuff. But most of my direct work um, is about schools and libraries and E-rate. That doesn't mean we're not advocating for home connection. doesn't mean we're advo- not advocating for the wider state uh, in, in improving those connections. Joe, those are great comments and a, really a great way to kind of wrap us up this morning. I, I want to just want to thank you personally for the time that you've provided me and given me this morning, but also want to thanks for, for all you're doing to help secure a digital future for Michiganders. I appreciate that, Wes. And I, I, I really appreciate being a part of this today. Thank you so much. Today's guest has been the state E-rate coordinator for the Michigan Department of Education, Joe Pulasic. I'm Wes Kerr. Thanks for listening to Keeping Connected. If you like the show and want to know more about our nonprofit, head to connectednation.org and look for the latest episodes on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, or Spotify.